Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Alexandra Paul. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. Glad to have you here. And of all the guests, usually they come up with a commitment and usually it's something that I'd like to hear and I'm curious about, but yours touched so close to me of, you know, I love my famous no packaging vegan stews and uh, my mom got involved. And so it's been killing me to ask and not, we've interacted in, by email since then. And I'm really curious to hear what happened. But first, I'd like to ask, can you remind us what your commitment was and also what prompted it? What was the underlying motivation or you know, what, what led you to that one? So my overall goal is to use less plastic. And the more specific goal was to be able to replace the hummus that I really love from our local farmer's market with some homemade hummus because the packaging for the hummus that I buy there is, you know, these small plastic containers. And we buy about seven of them a week because that's how much hummus that we eat, my husband and I. A daily hummus. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really helps me get in a lot of vegetables and I just really like it. And I had tried before speaking with you, making my own hummus and it never, never got close. And you suggested when we spoke that you said that it was easy. An Instapot was an easy way to get your chickpeas that you bought in bulk and not in a can to be ready so that you could make the hummus because normally it takes soaking time. So I did. And because I buy things that are used, I looked on Craigslist and I found an Instapot. Like within a week, shortly after we spoke, I found an Instapot that was owned by a couple where the, the husband, I guess, was selling it. And he, he sort of said, to, you know, my wife has never used it. <laughs> so, so it actually was not used. It still was in the box and he'd had it for, I don't know, a year or something. It hadn't been used. <laughs> he, so I purchased it from him. And I have to say, I was a little nervous about this Instapot thing after reading about it, that it was mm -hmm. going to blow up or something. So mm -hmm. I, was, I had a lot of trepidation. And I've learned some things about myself. First of all, I did make hummus myself. It didn't turn out so well. You sent me your mother's recipe, which turned out much better, but it still didn't have the same consistency as the one at the farmer's market. Like your mom doesn't know what I'm actually after, but mm -hmm. her recipe was great because it was simple, which is really, really important for me. In the end, I actually had a chef reverse engineer the ingredients and she's a friend of mine and she reverse engineered and it actually is a little more complicated than I like to make to make it. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to probably go back to your mother's recipe and just add a little more, just now that I've tried it so many times, add a little more of this and that to make it so that it tastes and has the consistency of what I get at the farmer's market. It's close enough what I've made by maybe it's, oh, I don't know, 60% there, which mm -hmm. is good enough. Because I know from changing my diet over the years that at first you might miss something, but then your palate adjusts and you don't remember that which you were so uh, crazy about years ago. I mean, there's things that I loved years ago that I don't even think of now. So I'm sure I can survive very well without this hummus, this hummus from the farmer's market. And just to say another thing, Josh, is our conversation spurred me to get more aware as a whole about my 
plastic. And now that COVID is, we're kind of coming out of COVID, I was able to, uh, now we're able to make our own peanut butter uh, at the store rather than having to get it in glass jars, which we were doing before was buying glass jars of there aren't many that seem to have all migrated to plastic, which is terribly irritating, but there are some, if you look and, um, but now we can make it from the bulk section at our co-op, which is nice. And I've also gone to a refillery where I took my, which is probably a lot like your bulk store Mm -hmm. in New York, but where I filled up on detergent conditioner toothpaste is kind of cool toothpaste. It doesn't have a toothpaste there. They have these things that are really cool. This is called, this is refilleryla.com for anyone listening who is in LA. And it's a traveling van. Oh, I've heard about it. Uh-huh. And then I'm also going to go, I've looked up and we have plans to go to another one that's about half an hour away that's an actual store. But th- this woman sells toothpaste that comes in a chiclet and you chew it and oh. it becomes toothpaste. And mm-hmm. then I asked her if I could swallow it. She said, no. Maybe not. And then you just brush your teeth. And so they're, they're chiclets. So I just poured them into my little vitamin jar that I brought to her. I've heard about vans like that. I guess in Manhattan, it's, it's probably just as difficult to have a van as it is to have a regular store. There's so many things you said. All of that came from, that sounds like a lot of changes that came from the pressure cooker. And I'm tempted to take credit for a lot. But <laughs> oh, well, you, you can, you can, because uh, you can take credit because I've been thinking about it before we spoke, but you know, when you make one step, it can start a keystone habit that can accelerate into other steps. And so I think it was just, it just takes a little effort for me to actually, you know, look up refillery stations and things like that and, and learn more about them. Plus when you open your mind to something, all of a sudden the world gives you answers. And somebody actually wrote me an email about that refillery and it was nearby just five minutes away from me on Thursday afternoon, once a month. So I went. So I think the universe gives you answers when you open your mind and are willing. When the student is ready, the master appears. That's right. That's right. In the form of a chiclet. (laughs) So I wanted to say that the instant, what I learned too about myself is that I'm not much of a cook. I like things really simple so I actually don't need the Instapot for the beans because I'm totally happy soaking them. So that's, I think I learned that about myself is that we we live just really, we eat just, I'm such a boring eater, which is maybe why I clung to that hummus so much is because I like simple foods and I don't need a lot of different variety. And so I tend to get fixated on a routine. I've read that, Almost everyone has much less variety in their diet than they think. And they tend to have the same couple things. And I was like, oh, that's such a relief. Now I don't have to worry. Oh, because you, you have that too? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, my famous no-packaging vegan stews are, it's always the same. It's a legume, a green leafy vegetable, a starchy vegetable, a grain. And then after I cook it, a nutritional yeast. And then if I, that alone, it's always good. If I throw in a little salt, maybe if I want, but usually not. And then nowadays, since I keep hearing about it, because Dr. Gregor's always on about how great turmeric is, then I put turmeric, cumin, and pepper in uh, just because it tastes good and it's apparently super healthy. Now, on the face of it, it might sound repetitive to have a lot of that, but I can name you, in a second, I can name you 20 types of legumes. I can name you 20 types of green leafy vegetables. I can name you 20 types of, of starchy vegetables. And 20 times 20 times 20 is like 1,000. Oh, and I, I can throw in uh, the grains. 
Oh, and I forgot to mention, I think maybe I mentioned last time that now I learned how to make seitan from scratch in like three minutes. Oh, wow. No, I don't remember that. Wow. And I, and then I saw, if you want, I'll send this to you. Uh, I was on Reddit and someone said how they made seitan from scratch only 90 minutes prep time. I was like 90 minutes. I take three. So I made a video for them. So I'll send you the video if you want. And it's, Oh yes. I'd like to see it. That would be terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Now you also exemplify or show something that happens all the time on this podcast, which is that a lot of people, there's various levels of people having acted so far on their environmental values. I tend to find that the people who've done the least tend to say, I can't, I'm already doing as much as I can. I can't think of anything more to do. And the people who do the most tend to think they find more things. You've done a bit over the years and you found something and then it blossomed into more and more and more. I think of increasingly, I find that it's less, there is what we do, what we do matters. That's what the re- environment reacts to. But our attitude, our, our beliefs, our expectations, our mindset is really our set of, like, this is developing skills. I know that anyone, no matter what you do, divided by 7.8 billion, it's not that much in terms of that actual, your actual total contribution. But if you lead others, when you make that mindset shift and people around you start adopting it, that can really ripple out there. Well, it's proof in that um, once somebody, when uh, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, Mm -hmm. I think that year and the next year, a whole bunch of people broke the four-minute mile. So it had taken so long for people to break it. But once one person broke it, humans, the mind opened and it it was possible. When humans see that it's possible, then they also are more likely to do it. And so that's what you do, Joshua, is... You, you show that it's possible to live a certain way. So people are less apt to say, oh, I, I'm doing everything I can. You're pushing the barriers for them. I hope so. And I hope that people get that uh, what I'm sharing is joy more than the actual physical thing, because I really love what I'm doing. And when you were saying that before, I was like, that when, you, when I saw your TED Talk on population, I have very, before that, very few examples of people talking about population in a measured, reasonable way that was persuasive and thoughtful and not full of uh, people going crazy. And you'll see in my book that that, that's a major piece that I put in there about population that until I had examples of people speaking as you did, I struggled. Of course, there's Machai Viravadya and his work and other people as well, but that's what forced me to find you was who is this person giving this talk that's so matter of fact, not matter of fact in the sense of boring, matter of fact of like just here, this is the way things are. This, you know, you can, this is the way things could be. I don't remember the details. Yeah. No, I think you're right that a lot of environment people, and when you talk to them about it, it becomes very logical and doable and not scary and out of this world. I did just do a talk, actually. I, I don't know if we spoke about this last time, but I did a talk for San Diego State University. It was scheduled for February, but it was canceled. Yeah because people were afraid of the topic and the students thought that I was racist or they assumed I was racist because I was talking about the issue and they didn't want me to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. So I had a meeting with them and we spoke and I explained to them the content and offered to show them the, the um, presentation. And so they agreed after hearing me just talk to them instead of jumping to conclusions and their own hysteria about the issue, about things that have happened Yes, on terrible things, but so, but that, you know, if you just looked at all the terrible things that happened, like with voting, 
does that mean we shouldn't vote or discuss voting? I mean, you know, there's yeah. there's a lot of things on on all sides of the spectrum on every issue, but we have to continue talking about it. And you know, last week I I ended up giving the presentation and um, nary a complaint. I didn't offend anybody. There was a very good discussion afterwards. And so I think it's really important that we discuss things and just discuss the possibilities and listen to each other. Yeah. If it was recorded, I'd love to see it. Oh, that's really kind. Actually, I do have, yeah, I do. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on it. It it goes into it's um, 40 minutes instead of just the nine, I think that you saw. So you might learn some other facts and stuff if you wanted to see it. Well, yeah. And it may, I mean, my book is in the editing process and I'd love to I want to put some more learn from people's experience and see yeah. what happens. Okay, sure. You were talking about when you talked about people's preconceived notions. And when I got my pressure cooker the first time, I, I forget if I mentioned this last time, I also turned it on and went all yeah. the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did tell me that. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. And I kept pushing the limit because I would, I would like keep putting in more and more. It says like not to fill it over halfway or a third. I fill it to the top. And Oh, you do. With oh, yeah. your stew. I'm going to make oh, yeah. your stew. I know you sent me the link. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that Ian and I will do. Uh, because so far we've just made soup and um, beans in it. I forget if I told you about, I have one friend that I stayed with a couple of years ago when I was in LA the last time. And since he let me stay with him, I bought him a pressure cooker and we went out to the farmer's market. We shopped together. Did I tell you this already? Mm-mm. Oh yeah. And then by the time I got home, he texted me that he and his girlfriend made Sunday stew day. They'd never been to the farmer's market before, which is like Southern California farmer's market. It's like heaven on earth. <laughs> yes. So they went there and now it's not every Sunday, but most Sundays. And one of them likes to cook. The other one likes to do the dishes. It's a great pair. And mm. they never did that before. And they, that's great. Well, see, you open their, their hearts and minds and they're probably eating more fruits and vegetables because of it. Yeah. And then I don't know if you guys are close or not. It's all California to me. So <laughs> probably neighbors, <laughs> but if you need someone to show you like in person. Did you go to the Hollywood farmer's market? Yes. He was then in Hollywood Hills and it was on Vine. I, I forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's a big one. I have only been there once, but um, that's not my normal farm, but I'm sure my hummus people are there. <laughs> oh yeah. Going back to the hummus, you know, with any, the master of any craft or art, I think the more you repeat, the, it's just like things start falling into place. And I suspect that if you're at 60% now, You'll be at 70%, 80%, and then you'll probably find something that you, little tricks or whatever, that like it'll be 110%. And Thank you. that's my guess. Thank you. Well, I, your mother was so helpful and generous with her own recipe. So please thank her again for me. I will. And uh, actually, she, I don't know if this is airing dirty laundry, but I wrote her with an email from you thinking, and she responded, including you. I was like, wait, mom, I didn't introduce you to Alexander yet. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. But I thought it was funny. She was so pleased that you liked her hummus so much that you were recommending it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the hummus, but really it's the, um, her baba ganoush because she roasts the pepper. The Oh, and oh, her baba ganoush. Yes. You know, I actually sent that recipe to a friend of mine in Italy who tried it and said it was easy. She said it was easy because she had made baba ganoush and it was really difficult and uh-huh. complicated and she really liked it. Oh yeah. It's when I watch my, I haven't, I haven't roasted the eggplant myself, but when I see her, I mean, she makes it a, a, a group activity. She like 
mixes it together and talks a little bit about where she got the ingredients and so forth. Then she gives it, gives me a taste. And she's like a little more salt, a little more olive oil, a little more, you know, mm-hmm. lemon. And it's always a little bit different, but it's, it's a family thing. Does she make it on her own when no one's, her, no one's around? I don't know. She might, but <laughs> it's more like a community thing. And she talks about it. She, you know, the Israeli who was like, this, this is Israeli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a great story. <laughs> oh, you mentioned your chef friend. Wait, all right. There was a story there. I forget how you said it, but I was like, wait, we have to revisit that. There's more to that than what you said. Oh, well, because I wasn't hitting it on the head with the hummus in terms of the consistency and the taste, I asked my chef friend, Renata, if she would deconstruct it, reverse engineer it, essentially. You know, people who are chefs, they can taste what's in an ingredient. So we, I bought hummus for her so she could taste what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. And then asked her to, you know, tell us how to make it, reverse engineer it. So she did that and she got it pretty close. The consistency was not the same. So I figured out how to, how to change that. But otherwise she got it pretty close. Yeah. It sounds like such a little cloak, cloak and dagger thing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and the consistency is for me the, the main thing with the, oh, okay. I don't like to get the cans, but also... When I get the water and the timing just right on the pressure cooker, there's a fair latitude, but the texture is what I like the most. Well, with hummus, well, what I've learned and uh, is that if you want hummus that's super smooth, you can either use white beans instead of chickpeas, or mm-hmm. you can boil the chickpeas again after you've cooked them, or if you are using a can, take them out of the can, boil them, mm-hmm. and pour baking soda on them, and huh. that separates the skin from the chickpea. It's a little bit of a, I I need to look up how to actually remove the skin from the chickpeas in an easy manner because I was doing it by hand, literally every chickpea. Uh Um, But I was making small quantities because I'm experimenting. So I'm not making a ton of hummus. So I'm just using a cup of chickpeas. So I would take the, uh, the hull off each chickpea. It's not particularly efficient, Uh but it does make super smooth hummus. Maybe I'll start getting into hummus. I also found that the, the bulk food store near me has chickpea flour. Oh. And I've been, I make pudding out of this stuff. It's really cocoa powder plus that, plus mixing some fruit and you get a really good, yeah, I'll have to tell you about that sometime. It's, that sounds neat. You know what I do for pudding? I use cauliflower. So you cook cauliflower and put it in the fridge so it's cold. Mm-hmm. And it has no taste, but it's very creamy, right? They mm-hmm. use it as a base for soups. So then cold, and then I put it in the blender with strawberries, and I use a little protein powder, but you can put anything else that's sweet, and you can put cauliflower. I don't know how it would work with cocoa, and then it becomes a pudding too. You don't add water or anything. The cauliflower is smooth and cold, and just put in a bunch of fruit, and you've got fruit pudding. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to try this. Cauliflower's not in season yet, but because I'm not in Southern California where it's in season all the time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act, 
and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Oh, I forgot to ask. We talked about what you've done and what's been the emotional journey of this experience? Going back to when you first committed to it, then you had your ups and downs and trying different things. Oh, well, it's it's always fun to, you feel good with every step you make. So I feel good for every plastic. And when my husband went to the farmer's market, because I was out of town, I said, don't buy me any hummus. I don't need any hummus. So, you know, it's a great step to go from seven to none. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, wow, that's all. I was actually thinking that that's a lot of plastic I'm not putting into the, to the uh, waste stream. So it's fun. It's actually fun. You know that, Josh. Any, any little change that you make, when you've made it, you feel good about yourself and excited. And it's usually really does. The truth is there's, you know how you talked about how for every grain, you could think of 20 other grains and for every, mm-hmm. well, for this one hummus that I'm stuck on, there are 20 other hummus that are better. I just, <laughs> I just have to figure out how to make them, like you said. Yeah, one day you're like making it, you're like, oh, throw that zucchini and see what happens. And, oh, zucchini hummus works really right. well, or maybe it doesn't. Right, exactly. So it actually opens me up, I realize, to other opportunities instead of hanging on to something that I ha- felt ambivalent about anyway. I like to bring this up because so many people feel like, oh, I don't want, God, what? you know, I already do, I already skip straws. What more do you want me to do? It's work for them. And I think that, yeah, you're looking at me, the viewers, the listeners can't see, but you're like, what? But, but people feel, there's so many people who are just like, oh, you're so extreme. I don't want to go that far. I don't want to do all that. And I'm like, extremely fun. Yes, <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. I think there's always also in striving to be better, there's satisfaction and it just makes life fuller. You're not really missing anything. And I know that because people look at me and my diet as a vegan and how many things I don't get because I feel like it doesn't fit my ethical paradigm they look at it as a lack, but I look at it as, as actually um, adding to my life. It does. So to have moral lines makes your life richer and not poor and there's no sacrifice ultimately. Yeah. I, I find it as, I think of it as constructive. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm looking at like, look at all these vegetables. What can I make? Look at all these fruit. And then I build from that. Yeah. Creative. You know, there's something that we talked last time a little bit about acting. We talked about uh, environment, a bit about touching a bit about animals. You're an athlete and we only have a, a couple minutes, but you've done amazing things and there's not enough time to cover it. But I wonder what's, do you mind if I ask like, what's sport for you or athleticism? Is it, it seems like a big passion of yours. You've done several Ironman, you've swam. How far have you swum? What's the farthest you've swum? If I don't, I've only done one Ironman. I've done a lot of half, I've several half Ironmans and a lot of triathlons, but the farthest I've swum is 14 miles. And that was in a race uh, in Acapulco. And mm-hmm. the funnest I've swum is t- 12 and a half miles around Key West, which is so fun because you're going around an island. So you experience different things as you go around the island, different currents and tides and kinds of water and so yes, I really I don't run anymore, uh, which is why my uh, triathlon career was cut short. But um, I haven't been able to run for 16, 17 years. I've chosen not to because I want to be able to walk when I'm in my seventies. Mm-hmm. So I swim more, yeah, and and I walk 
for fun with my friends uh, every week. And I ride the stationary bike and lift and do yoga. But I haven't competed in a while, actually, in anything. And I'm, by the way, for your listeners, I'm a very average athlete. In fact, in the swim around Key West, I hit, there were 48 swimmers, and I was right smack in the middle at 44. There were at 40, yeah, 44 or something. I was smack in the middle. I thought, oh, yeah. But 24 would be in the middle, I think. Oh, sorry. Uh, 48. Yeah. yeah. Smack in the middle okay. at, 20, at 24. Yeah. But I do love to swim and move. It's very important every day. I would guess that these things, the artistic expression, the, the environmental sustainability, the stewardship, and the athleticism are an integrated whole. Is that, or, or are they separate for you? Or are they something similar? I feel like it all fits together, but I'm not sure. Well, for me, it fits together because, you know, I consider myself an athlete, an actress, and an activist. Um, if I think mm-hmm. of myself, that's, those are the things that are important to me. But for some people, they have just one or the other. It became integrated to me. I mean, I've been an environmentalist since I was a kid. And then I became more serious about my, but I've, and I've also, I guess, been in nature. Yeah. I, the reason I am an environmentalist is because I grew up in the country. And the reason I am an athlete is because I grew up in the country because that's what we did for fun is rode bikes and played sports. And then, well, the actor thing came along later. So, <laughs> Well, I would love to follow up on more of this. I want to ask you, I want to leave you with an open invitation to come back anytime, whether the, especially if the, uh, if the hummus changes over time, if you hit 70, 80, 90%, if you, hit if you go past 100%, if, you, if you're at some event and someone's like, oh, I brought that hummus that you love and you taste it, you're like, that's funny. This isn't as good as I remember. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to happen, that I will, I, it's not going to be as good as I remember. Things rarely are, you know? So yes, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Anytime you to come back and share, please let me know and, and I'd love to have you back. Anything to close on? Anything you want to leave with? of your experience or anything else to share for the listeners? Just that, you know, talking with you again has inspired me to keep going with my hummus journey. And that it's a, it's actually a bigger journey than just the hummus journey. It's uh, striving to be a better citizen of the world. Who knew that hummus would be, help me get there. And also to make your stew in the Instapot. Oh yeah. I can't wait to hear about that. You send me a link, so but yeah, I'll probably I think I can find it, but you should maybe send it to me again if it's not too much trouble. I'll resend that link and the link of me making the when I make the uh, the seitan in three minutes. That oh, was yeah. in the process of making. Uh, now that one is winter in the New York, so there's no green leafy vegetable in that particular one. Okay, but that's an easy thing to put back in. Alexander, thank you for being here. Well, thank you so much, Joshua. I appreciate being on your show again. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.